Okay, good morning. Uh, for those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I'm um, one of the teachers here at Echo. And uh, if you're going to join us next weekend for Easter, just as a setup for that, uh, Steve and I will be doing that together. I'll be doing a little bit of storytelling, and then Steve will do his extrapolation of the text, which should be super fun and um, educational, and hopefully we'll laugh, maybe even out loud. It's Easter, so we're allowed to laugh out loud next week, right? Not, not today, though. Um, right, not right now. I hope you had a great week. Uh, I think it was a good week. I had a, I had, it was good until Thursday, and I'm a Kentucky fan, so then it just tanked from there. Uh, so if you watch, yeah, I know. Pray for me. I'm, we're coming back, right? So praying about it and trying to recover. If you don't know what happened, like we're, we're Kentucky, so we're supposed to win everything in our own minds, and then we didn't in college basketball, and it was our own fault that we didn't, and really our coach's fault because he doesn't know how to call timeouts. I pray for him too. If you're any type of fan in Cincinnati, it's been a rough couple of weeks, right? Like we just, it's just been, we just lose, and that happens sometimes, and how you bounce back from losses are, is, that's an interesting thing. As a, as a, a participant in sports, I never took losing well, uh, so I always pick teams that usually win. Like I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, an Ohio State football fan, a New York Yankees fan, and then I tried to be a Bengals fan. I know. It's just never worked out well. Um, so then I became a Green Bay Packers fan, like as a kid. I just like teams that win, and I, I like to watch things that work. And I love, I love Kingdom of God conversation because of that too, right? I love, that's really what I found about my personality. It's part of what I love about the story of God is that there is a, there's something that I get peace with in my mind and heart about knowing that this is a story that works, that can win, that can get through any type of circumstance. It's, it's hard to lose if the way in which you go about life is dictated through God and his story because he does everything in the context of story to overcome every circumstance. It doesn't mean that you won't take human losses, but it's an interesting story that says even if you take human losses, there's this larger narrative that's happening that says that this God will be with you as you're taking a loss. It doesn't mean that there's an, an absence of loneliness, but it means that in the loneliness, he'll find a way to you. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of darkness. It means that he's the light that enters the darkness with you. And it also means that there is this celebratory aspect to the story of God that when these pictures of him winning come out, everyone around him celebrates because they pick up on it. They can't help but pick up on it. We're going to work on this mic while I teach this week to try to figure that popping thing out. And there's this win that happens and it's throughout the story of God and especially throughout Jesus' ministry that we see these different moments. And today we're going to talk about one of those moments that historically we would say happens on the Sunday before Passover. Matthew illustrates it as like this Palm Sunday where we laid out these palm branches in front of Jesus as he goes in. Luke calls it this entry into Jerusalem where instead of palm branches, actually cloaks are laid down. But it is this journey that Jesus is taking into the city of Jerusalem that he started back in Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9 it says that Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem. And he started his journey there. And from 
Luke 9 until Luke 19, you see this, this story happening in this particular book in the way that Luke wrote it with a theme intentionally of saying, when Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem, everything that happened between Luke 9 and Luke 19 was this illustration of what it looks like to go toward God's kingdom. Like these are the stories that happen when you're starting to move toward God's kingdom. And Luke was very intentional about the way he set that up about how the healing happened and what parables were told and what kingdom looked like and how Jesus illustrated the difference in a king in his kingdom and, and an earthly king. And everything that was conversed about in this journey is Luke's, his kind of goal is to say, I want you to know what it looks like when you're coming toward God's kingdom. We like those kind of stories that have like a, you know when you're about to get there. And then there's this climax point of like, oh, but the author, they threw that in, and I wasn't ready for that little twist, and that was good, and then we'll talk about it later. Like, we like movies that have a great trajectory, and then a little bit of a twist, and then a great ending. Movies that don't have a twist in the middle, we're just like, ah, oh, okay, all right. Movies that have too many twists, we're like, it was just going everywhere. It was all too many directions, and I couldn't figure it out. And movies with terrible endings, we walk away and go, that was a terrible ending. A great story, you know where it's going, it pulls you in, and then it gives you a little twist, and then in the end you're like, oh, that was a great ending. Our lives are like that too. We have these adventures that we go on, and when we go on adventures in life, we like to know where we're going, but we like a little bit of adventure in there, but we hope we know how it's going to end. Without a great ending in our own life story, we'd be like, I don't want to do that. Like, I, that was a terrible ending. I don't want a terrible ending. I want a great ending. I want a great story. I want a great journey. In my life, vacations, well, you may call them vacations. We chose to stop using the word vacation in the Cox house a couple of years ago, and we started to change it to adventures. We don't take vacations. We go on adventures as a family. Because most of the time in adventure, you would start on a trajectory and believe that you knew where you were going. You would get there, and there would be some type of plot twist, right? Like, we're going on vacation. Where to the beach? When? Probably the only week it's going to snow in Florida ever. Right? Or the opportunity that we're going to go and we're going to learn about California and it's going to rain the first three days. That happened. So we thought, these, if we have this expectation of vacation where I'm supposed to go and it's supposed to be this protected, safe space of rest and it's just supposed to go how we planned it, we end up disappointed in those scenarios. So instead, we started to say, let's go on adventures. Because on an adventure, you can start a trajectory, you can hope that you know where you're going, but if there is a plot twist, it's just part of the adventure, and you just hope that by the end it ends really, really well. Several years ago, we chose to go on an adventure, which normal adventures for the Cox family end up in Florida. We usually go south, and we love the weather in Florida. For some, like That's just kind of our family loves hot weather. We also love this, this like kingdom of Mickey Mouse thing that exists that takes all your resources from you and gives you an adventure of how to drive home broke. And we were going on this trip. Sonny, our now 12-year-old, she was uh, five at the time. Brinkley was one. And we had decided about this time of year, it was, it was around March, and we had decided that we're going to go, we're going to spend a week in Disney World, we're going to hang out and have a really fun family adventure. And the first couple of days went great. On about the third day, 
we had an opportunity to do something super fun when we got to Magic Kingdom, and that was to go back and have this like personal meet and greet time with Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland was going to take us back and take us on her teacups, just our family. I know. It's amazing. And in that, you have to get up super early and get on the bus, and then once you get on the bus, you have to get to the park, and you have to make sure that you're there on time, or else Alice will pick another amazing child in the kingdom of magic and take them on the teacups. And then while they go on the magic kingdom experience, you go on the this is a kingdom of darkness experience because you've told your children that they're going to have a really amazing thing, and then you watch some other child participate in it. And so you have to get up early, and you have to get in line, and if you've been to Disney, like, there's a magical experience around it, but it's not in the bus line. The bus line is not the magic kingdom. It's not a happiest place on earth. It is a, I will protect me, my children, and my wife, and I will stab you if you're in my way. It is ugly and brutal. Whether it's in the morning or at night, Disney bus lines, it is really, 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 really painful, especially when you're the family Sherpa. One of you, either the husband or the wife, must carry all of the equipment so that the other parent can make sure that the tiny humans get on the bus. Usually for us, that would be me. I would have the double stroller, a backpack, a diaper bag, and whatever costume changes we needed to have for that day. At that time, both of our daughters enjoyed a costume change, so we had a bag full of bell dresses and aerial dresses and Tinkerbell costumes because we had plotted out that if you want the best experience in Disney World with a character, be dressed like that character and you get more attention. So guys, next time, no, I'm just kidding. That'd be weird. People do that, though. And so we have all of this stuff, and I'm getting on the bus, and it's early in the morning, so the bus is packed. So many people are there. Sarah takes Brinkley to the back and finds a seat. Thankfully, there was uh, someone who was by themselves and looked and saw a woman with a one-year-old and were like, hey, take our seat. Most of the time, though, they don't care. They don't care how old you are. If you have a baby, if you got on the bus later, you're just standing. Sarah gets a seat. Sonny's with me. And as she gets on the bus, she's looking around and thinking, this is going to be crazy and we're going to be standing I get the stroller in one space. There's one seat next to a, a lady. And Sonny steps up into the seat so I can talk to her while we get on the bus and, and while we ride. And so the, the bus takes off toward Magic Kingdom. And here's my little girl sitting in this beautiful, like, turquoise dress, glitter everywhere. Not only was it on the dress, but it was on my head. Most of the time in the year, I shave my head, so it's like, it is just this magnet for glitter. Um, so as we're getting on the butt, like, I'm glittery already. The last time I went to get my hair cut, actually, the barber laughed at me and said, you have daughters, don't you? And I'm like, why? And she's like, I'm, like, there's glitter on your scalp that I am going to wash out. And I'm like, that, I haven't had my head shaved in a while. So I've been just carrying glitter around my head for a very long time because that's life with daughters. And so this glittery dress sits in the seat and this cute little girl is talking to me. And then the lady who's sitting next to her looks over and says, oh, that is such a cute dress. And then she names it the wrong character. And you don't do that with Sunny. You don't tell her that she's wearing a dress of a character that she's not wearing because she will then tell you what is up. And so she looks at the lady and she's like, actually, it's Ariel's dress from when she is a human and she actually has legs. And when she meets her, she like goes into this like huge dissertation on when Ariel would wear this particular dress. And the lady looks and she's like, she's, 
She knows her stuff, doesn't she? And I was like, yeah, this isn't her first trip to Disney World. She's, she's pretty well versed in all things. And that starts the discussion. This lady's name is Angela, and Angela, she's like, she says, this is our first trip ever. My daughter's in the back. She's, um, we got separated when we got on the bus, and we're going to Magic Kingdom for our first time ever. And I'm like, oh, really? We've been several times, and what are, you, what are your plans for the day? And so I start asking questions, because if you go to Magic Kingdom and you don't know what you're doing, you will hate it. And you will believe that Mickey is taking you for all of your money and taking all the fun and giving it to other families. Like, it's, it's painful. And so I'm asking questions. And she starts to tell me her story and her family's story. And she has this tattoo of Tinkerbell on her arm. And Sunny keeps looking at it and, like, talking about it and talking about the tattoo of Tinkerbell. And I'm like, you're pretty bought into Disney. Like, this is your kingdom, right? Like, you're here. And as we get closer to the Magic Kingdom, she stops and she says, yes, we, I am just... <sighs> she starts to tear up. She says, I am just hoping that this day is as magic as everyone told me it will be because because we need something to go right. And I'm like, like, that's kind of like a leading, like I'm supposed to ask more, but we're we're about to get off at magic. Like, do I want to know? I'm like, really? Why? She said, well, two weeks ago, um, we buried my oldest daughter. Not okay. Like, what? Why? She's had cancer. She fought really hard. We went through all of this journey. And she just didn't make it. And at that point, she's going into details, and I still have the five-year-old. So I'm like, talking grown-up terms, because Sonny's looking and going, Oh, yeah, you had a daughter, and the daughter's not here anymore. Whoa, that is really, really sad. I'm like, that's overwhelming. So you and your daughter are coming just to try to get some, like, closure, some time together? And she's like, yeah, partly. But a month before that, my husband was on his way to work, and he chose the motorcycle instead of the car, and a truck hit him. What? I'm like, so you you lost your husband, and then you lost your daughter in, in the last six weeks. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. The fact that you're even on a bus going towards somewhere in a public space is overwhelming to me. Like, that's impressive that, you, that you're up and moving because you've just experienced a lot of tragedy. And then she responded, and I can remember, I mean, this is years, this is seven years later. I can still see her face, and I can see her response that she said, Our friends told us that we just needed a day where we could just, like, be at peace. And so we booked tickets to the Magic Kingdom. Because if you can't find it at Disney World, where can you find it? Yeah, there is this group of people that were following Jesus from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19. And they had this belief, if you... If you can't find it following a rabbi, where are you going to find it? And so his crowd had continued to increase over time. We know that he had these 12 disciples, and the 12 disciples had a community around them, and that community started to follow Jesus. And from town to town that he would go, more people would just leave the town and start following him on this journey toward Jerusalem. 
And he had the men and the women that he healed that would follow and the the family members of those and the people who just heard this good news that he kept continuing to say that the kingdom of God is here and that kings act differently and that, that prophets act in such a way for this kingdom and that this thing, this Messiah, this, this man is coming and is now here. And they, the crowd had started to grow and grow and grow and the stories were out there, but they hadn't been talking much about it. And that's really Part of the story, if you look at it in Luke 19, it says, starting in verse 28, and when he had said these things, he being Jesus, had just finished a parable about what kings do, and they hand the kingdom over to the people. That's the parable of the the minus. And he says, he handed this king, hands the kingdom to the people who live in it and says, here, go build stuff with it. Go multiply it. Go extend it. And it says, when Jesus had said this story about what kings in the kingdom do, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You'll tell them this, the Lord has need of it. Could you imagine coming, someone coming to your home and doing that, just knocking on your door? I need your car. Which one? The Lexus. Imagine that you had one. I do. Why? The Lord needs it. Which one? Right? Like, who? It would be interesting. Like, but they knew to give this... He says, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying our colt? Why are you taking our car? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. No one had really been talking about it yet, but then in this moment, the story changed. This is the first time in the entire journey of Jesus that he's let himself be treated like royalty. Two things are happening in the passage. One, he is proclaiming, I am a prophet. I am not only a prophet, I am the prophet. And he is fulfilling what's found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The same thing with the cult of entering it in has been prophesied hundreds of years before and written down by the prophet Zechariah that there will be the Messiah who will ask for a cult and he will ride this cult and he will, that's going to happen. And so he says, I am the prophet, and not only am I the prophet proclaiming what's happened in the past, I'm telling you what's about to happen, and you'll be at peace with it. So he prophesies, you're going to go into this town, there will be a cult at this house, you will ask for this cult, and it will be given to you, because the story that's within the story is more than likely the owners of the cult had a dream, and one of those Gabriel-type angels had come to them and said, hey, two messengers are going to come to you, and they're going to ask for your cult, and this is for the Messiah, and you're going to give it to them. I am an angel of the Lord. And so when they came in, they're like, oh, it's you. You're asking for the cult. We had a dream about that last night, and now you're here. This is cool. We get to be part of this story. Here's the cult. And it's affirming the prophetic aspect of Jesus. But for the first time in Scripture, in this New Testament, Jesus is allowing himself to be treated as royalty because in these stories, he's redefined what king looks like. He's changed it. He said, I'm going to tell you a king who holds a banquet. 
and make sure that even everyone on the street is invited. I'm going to tell you a story about a king who instead of sacrificing this man who owed him a great debt, forgave his debt ten times over. I'm going to tell you about a king who held a wedding feast. And so he changed the game by the redefining king. So as the journey gets toward Jerusalem, Jesus says, now it's time for you to treat me like a king. But I'm not the king that's going to sit on this throne of gold. I'm a king that's going to sit on a little colt. And as that happens, the story starts to transform. And this crowd who's created this tribe around this one greater story starts to gather. And then it continues on and it says, And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For the first time, this is really the first time in Luke's story that we see the crowds talking publicly and celebrating and worshiping all of these stories that they've seen unfold. Up until now, they've been found questioning, who do you think is the greatest? Why do you think he did that? Do you think we're okay? Do you think we're going to be killed? Was it all right that we ate that food on the Sabbath? Are we really going into his house? Zacchaeus, for real, that guy? Are you sure? There was a lot of questioning happening from the followers that were around, and he would actually turn around and say, why do you question me? Who do you say that I am? And on this day, when he gets put on the colt, they actually go, okay, green light, we know what this looks like. This looks like a king ushering into a place. Let's think about about him for a minute. Are you kidding me? We just saw all of these amazing things happen. And they started telling each other stories and worshiping and celebrating all of the story that they had found themselves in the middle of. And the celebration was happening as Jesus rides down this hill toward this city called Jerusalem. Salem in Hebrew comes from the root shalom which means peace. The prophet king riding down the hill toward the city of peace. And all that had experienced peace from him were celebrating and telling their stories. Sometimes we forget because we're in the middle of the journey. We're in the middle of the junk and the chaos and the connecting and building and changing and adventuring, sometimes we forget that we're standing next to the prophet king who's done all of these things in our midst and we're still here. And the entry of Jesus is a reminder that while there's still chaos around, the prophet king says, I'm the king who gives this to you. Celebrate. Tell my story. Tell your story. Tell what's happened with us in the middle of everything that's going on. And yet, as the celebration was happening, the story turns. 
the climax isn't the celebration. I've been in many, many, many Palm Sunday services, and I rarely ever hear the shift. I rarely ever hear the discussion about how Palm Sunday didn't end well, but that instead, this is the spot where we stop, and someone comes up, and we sing Hosanna over and over and over, like 18 different times, um, and all the different versions of Hosanna, and we tell you, about what Hosanna means and how God is with us and the Savior has come and that's here. And then we go home and we feel good about it. But Jesus didn't leave Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. He didn't leave the triumphal entry celebrating. He left it differently. Because after all of these stories of celebration happened and the belief of what was coming and what had happened and what was around was being told and celebrated, something changed the story. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So we wrote another song, right, called Soul Will I, and we sing it over and over now. You should listen to it. It's pretty good. But it's the idea of like, I have to worship or else the rocks will cry out. And actually what Jesus is saying there is saying in this moment, celebration will happen by anything and anyone who believes in me. But you're breaking my heart, Pharisees, because you're telling me once again how deeply you don't believe in me. How even these stories of the broken being healed and redemption happening and a tribe being formed aren't enough. Even the very fact that I am on the cult that you have memorized from your prophet Zechariah is not enough for you to believe that I am the true God and I am broken over it. Before Jesus makes it to Jerusalem, he is celebrated for who he is and what he is doing in the lives of those around him. But he, before he goes to Jerusalem, he knows that he needs to stop and lament before he will have the strength to finish what he had started when he set his eyes toward the city of peace. And it says in the next verse, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He will then go in to describe what he means by that by prophesying again. And he's actually not going to prophesy over his own death. Jesus is not weeping about the pain he's going to go through. He's not weeping about the fact that he is going to be betrayed. He doesn't weep about any aspect of the Passion Week. He weeps over the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming in a few years. Because he has seen it, he prophesies about it in the next few verses, and he knows these people, my father people, my people, this city of peace will never be at peace because they do not believe, because they don't see that there's a different kind of king that comes to serve and to heal. They're going to continue to fight for the one who conquers, enslaves, and destroys, and it's going to destroy them. 
It's a prophecy over kingdom of Jesus versus empire. And it's 2018, and Jerusalem's still not at peace. It's not coincidental. It's something that Jesus saw from the beginning, that when his story is continued to play out, some will refuse to take part of it. And those of us that journey in toward the city of peace will lose some things. We'll lose some people. We'll lose relationships on the way. We'll lose health sometimes. We'll lose resources. We'll lose journey. We'll lose identity. There are a lot of losses that are taken toward the city of peace. But there's a difference between the disciples and the Pharisees in this story. As Jesus comes in, the Pharisees say, stop them from celebrating because this thing isn't real. And the disciples say, we can't stop celebrating even though we don't even know what this thing looks like yet. And there's a difference that's happening in this space. Sometimes we have to lament what has been lost before we can enter into that city of peace. And on that Sunday before Passover, Jesus goes through this journey and gives us a strategy of how to enter into his resurrection with him. And he says, celebrate. Celebrate those things he's spoken over you and into existence. Celebrate those relationships that you couldn't have dreamed are still there and are still healthy. Celebrate those stories that have overwhelmed you because you didn't know that they were even possible. Celebrate your salvation. Celebrate your redemption. Celebrate your health. Celebrate that you're being moved forward in spite of your lack of health. Celebrate the things that are of this kingdom that says, here, I've handed it to you. And lament. Lament what was lost. Jesus says, it's okay. He sat. We we have him crying twice in scripture. Once in John. Over his friend. And here. Over his city. Over his people. At the organization I work for. We talk a lot about trauma. Trauma trauma-competent caregiving for orphan and vulnerable children around the world. And one of the things I've learned recently in going through the training is that, that we have a couple of different types of tears in our eyes. We have happy tears. You ever had happy tears, right? You've celebrated something, right? Kentucky actually wins a championship. Happy tears. Just kidding. I've never cried over a sports team. Um, all three of my children hearing their voice for the first time when they were born, happy tears, right? There are these tears of jubilation that you have in your life. Then there are the sad tears. Did you know that tears of sorrow come from a different duct than tears of joy? Your tears of sorrow come from ducts that store up toxins that are released into your body by shame or stress. I know. This is why it's good at funerals to have a good cry. This is why when bad things happen, it's good our bodies turn into, at some point, these faucets that just flow. Because your body is actually saying, release the toxin, let it out. When you cry, you are releasing poison from your body. 
that doesn't belong there. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He releases the toxins of what this city means to him and their unwillingness to believe and to follow and go with him. And he releases it. And then he goes in and builds a kingdom of peace. This week, you might need to celebrate some things. Write them down. Share them with some friends. We also might need to lament some things because we haven't cried about some stuff in a while. Some losses. Some things that didn't work out the way we wanted them to. Some things that, we didn't, that didn't work out the way we thought God was guiding them to. The nation of Israel, we just finished Daniel, the nation of Israel would never have guessed that as the Messiah entered Jerusalem that they wouldn't be with him. But instead, that they would be establishing a plan to destroy him. So I'm standing on a bus. Cute little five-year-old sitting right across from me, and Angela. And she says, if we can't find peace in the happiest place on earth, where can we find peace? And I say, I have no idea who this woman is or if she's even going to respond to this, but I will not get off this bus without her knowing that she's about to walk into a lie that we both paid for. And I said, you know, there's a lot of fun inside these walls. You're going to walk in, and there's going to be some music and a mouse who talks, weird, cool. And there are going to be all kinds of opportunities for you and your daughter But there's no peace here. I don't know what you think about Jesus. But is it okay if I talk to you about him for a second? And she looked and said, no one's ever listened. This was striking too. No one's ever listened this much before. Yes, you can talk. Like it was because I listened, I got a platform. It wasn't, oh yeah, I know Jesus. I've heard all this. It was a, you're a strange man standing on a bus with a bunch of backpacks and, and, you know, princess dresses and you listen to my story. Yes, yes, I'll listen. And I, I didn't know how much time we had left, so my response was simple. This place promises to be the happiest place on earth. Jesus promise, promises to be the prince of peace beyond this earth. I don't know about you, but if I had lost a daughter and my wife, peace inside this kingdom wouldn't change me. The fact that I could know that there was peace with them forever, that would be what I needed. And so I just want you to know there's hope. There's a kingdom that's called peace. And the king's name is Jesus. And I don't know if we'll ever talk again, but I've written your name in my journal and I will pray over you every day and your daughter because I'm pretty sure she has to hate God right now.
her response was, you have no idea. I'm like, you're right, I don't. But I know where the answer is. Where do you live? And I asked her where she lived. And I'm not as networked as Steve, but I'm pretty networked. And so I found a church that I trusted in in that space and said, here, if you call this guy, this guy promises to build a community that will listen to your story if you want more of this. So go have fun in that kingdom today and like buy all the cotton candy and the turkey legs and all the stuff that you want. And then would you call my friend? And would you go hang out with him? Like you, church, Echo, you were the answer for me that day. Was to be able to say, here's a space full of people who believe in this story so much that they would welcome you in and let you go through all of your trauma and let you lament next to them. And they're just going to listen. We got off the bus and I take down all of like my collection of things and I get sunny and as we're, I'm opening the stroller, I feel this like embrace around me. And there's Angela just shedding tears saying, I'm going to call them. And then she walked away and I looked up and saw my wife looking at me just being hugged by a woman getting off of the Disney bus and thought, this will be fun. And she came over and she was like, what did you do? <laughs> like, what happened? How did she end up hugging you? And so I get to tell her the story. And as we're going in, I mean, it's like this, this journey. As we're walking into this place that calls itself the magic kingdom, I'm reminded that there's this beautiful kingdom that both exists in that space and in this space and at every restaurant that we'll go to next and in every space that we exist, there is this kingdom of peace that is with us, but we don't see it when we don't lament. So I have a few questions for us just to close. This week, would you just join Jesus in lamenting some of the things that we lose. Who has shamed you? Jesus felt that. Who has abandoned you? Jesus has felt that. Who has rebuked your community? Jesus has felt that. Who has oppressed? Jesus has felt that. Enter passion as we weep for them. Because Jesus wept over those who didn't want the kingdom of peace, not over what those people had done to him. He wept over them because of what they were missing. And then this week, my second challenge to you is this. Breathe in the things on this day Every day this week, breathe in the things that make for peace. Those are Jesus' words in there that had you listened, I've given you everything that makes for peace. Breathe in on this day all that makes for peace. Count them, speak them, and celebrate them in the city. That's our challenge for this week. And as we do those two things, as we lament that which has been lost, and as we celebrate that which makes peace, I'm really interested to see what a church looks like on Easter that practices that for a week. And then we come back together on the day that Jesus did what he said that he would do.
Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I first again pray over Angela and her daughter to you. That seven years later, they have found peace in the kingdom that lasts forever. And that if not, you continue just to pursue them. And I pray for the Angelas in our life that have so much to lament over but don't know that it's okay. And I pray for all that we have to celebrate, that you give us someone this week around us to celebrate with, to speak something over, even if it's just our spouse or our children, just to tell of your great things. As we usher you in again, into the city of peace, where you promise to be resurrected. It's through you that we pray. Amen.